0: morning we get to continue our series that we titled off-road disciplines and the whole idea of this series is that these things you can practice wherever you are if you're off on vacation during this summer uh, these are practices that you can enter into and experience God's presence along the way along the road and this morning we're going to talk about solitude and silence and look at the example of Elijah and how he entered into an experience of silence and experience God's presence and heard his word. So as we prepare our hearts to hear God's word today, let us take a moment of silence. Take a deep breath. Maybe hold it for a second. And then breathe out. Another deep breath in. Hold it. And another deep breath out. This is 1 Kings 19, 1 through 16. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them, like one of the prophets of Baal who had been put to death. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree and sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, "Get up and eat." He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then lay down again. The angel of Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, "Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you." So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars and your prophets and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake, And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he went out and pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then the voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied again, I have been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword, and I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram, also anoint Jehu, son of Nimsha, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from abel Mahula, to succeed you as prophet. The word of the Lord. I'm really excited to get into this message today to kind of explore the ideas of solitude and silence that are found here. So let's jump right in. uncomfortable isn't it we simply do not do well with silence we tend to fill the void with our own words in times of solitude we pursue activity to sort of fill that space and place that we are so uncomfortable with for Elijah it was a matter of life and death that he had solitude that he ran away from danger so to speak It wasn't in the middle of a retreat or at rest or in the absence of stress. Rather, God's still small voice came to him in the midst of a threat upon his life that led to great fear and caused him to flee. Elijah had just come off of his confrontation with the prophets of Baal at the top of Mount Carmel. In which the Lord had burned up Elijah's offering in answer to his prayers, while the God of Baal, the Baal worshippers, had remained silent. On his arrival at, King, uh, at Jezreel, King, Je- uh, King Ahab recounted to Jezebel all that Elijah had done. The words here are significant because although Ahab had witnessed God's power in the famine, in the consuming fire of the sacrifice, in the sending of the rain, before the imposing presence of Jezebel, he attributed it all to Elijah, to a human source, even blaming the death of the prophets of Baal on him. Her reaction was predictable. In her rage, Queen Jezebel The brutal tyrant that she was, who was kind of pulling the strings behind King Ahab, vowed to put Elijah to death. She sent a message to Elijah, giving him 24 hours to leave Jezreel or be killed. And the threat was effective. Elijah ran for his life. But God had a purpose behind it. You see, what Elijah needed to learn is that God doesn't always work in the spectacular and in the loud and profound like he had just experienced on Mount Carmel. No, often God works in the quiet, in the still, in times of solitude, where life isn't necessarily, you know, lived at one high experience after another. No, the majority of life is spent in quiet service, in routine and humble obedience to the will of God. And yet in those moments, we can experience God's presence just as profoundly. Evidently, Elijah is suffering from a type of nervous exhaustion here. He's physically and mentally depleted. And God gives him nourishing food and plenty of sleep. And then we're told that he treats him to a spectacular firework display. No, but strong winds, an earthquake, and a fire. But in the midst of all this, which probably kind of drew Elijah's attention, what we find is God's presence and his voice actually came through the still, small voice of God. And in contrast to Elijah's personality, God meets him in the quiet. In that solitude, in that place of stillness, that's there. That Elijah becomes aware of the word of God addressing him. What God does here with Elijah is what I think most of us need, to have those experiences of solitude and silence filled with the presence of God. But unfortunately, again, we can so often run from them by wanting to be with people or fill the quiet with the noise of turning on the TV or surfing the internet one more time to preoccupy our attention. I mean, sometimes with social media, five minutes later, we go back on our post to see who's checked in or liked whatever we put, and then five minutes later, we're checking again. We fill our moments of solitude and silence with activity and with noise because I believe we are profoundly afraid, perhaps not afraid of Jezebel like Elijah was. But afraid that we might actually encounter God. And in encountering God, encounter something about ourselves that we don't like and that God probably wants to change, but we've unfortunately become comfortable with, that we somehow feel safe in. And in contrast to receiving God's presence in a time of solitude, again, we reach out and try to stay connected in so many different ways. I think of even this past week and on Friday, we we went up to Tahoe and spent the day at Commons Beach, and I had to work hard not to check my cell phone again and again, and actually put it in my bag and zip it up and move it away from me, just like I moved the barbecue chips away from me, because I kept going back to them again and again and again. But there's something profound here and relational Not only in our relationship with God, but in our relationship with others. And a key point of this message I want to pass on is this, that you have to actually go away from people if you are going to truly be with people. What I mean by that is it's often in those times of quiet solitude that then we're able to relate to other people differently. When we experience God's presence in solitude and we become okay with being alone we're then ready to connect with people in healthy ways I'm not then striving to be liked by other people either on social media or in person because in the silence and solitude of a morning quiet time I know securely who I am in Christ I can then go into other relationships in healthy ways not worried about whether I'm going to be received or not been able to receive other people right where they are outside of my expectations for them saint Teresa of avila once said you settle yourself in solitude and you will come upon him in yourself in other words we will experience the presence of the living god but this takes moving out of a place of loneliness and into a place of solitude and there's actually a profound difference Richard Foster in his book Celebration says, A Celebration of Discipline says, Jesus calls us from loneliness to solitude. The fear of being left alone tends to petrify people. Our fear of being alone drives us to noise and to crowds. But we can cultivate an inner solitude and silence, set free from loneliness and fear. We can move out of that feeling of emptiness And into a place of fullness in light of the presence of the living God. And the amazing things is crowds and sometimes even noise doesn't have to impact us inordinately in this. This drives my wife crazy. Because I can be in an airport or in the midst of great crowds and I am just quieted down reading my book or having a quiet time in journaling. And she's like, how can you do this when there's all this noise in the crowd?" And at one point, or for whatever reason, I learned this ability of being able to step back from the noise and just cultivate an inner quiet apart from people and things and noise. And even in the noise of loud moments, to just enter into that quiet space internally with God. Obviously, separating ourselves from outward stimuli is part of this. And notice how much Jesus did that. I mean, before he called the 12, Jesus spent a night in prayer. He spent 40 days in the desert before he launched his ministry in the first place. After times of sort of almost frenzied activity where he's healing people and casting out demons, we're told that Jesus would withdraw to a quiet place. After feeding the multitudes, the 5,000, Jesus withdrew with the disciples on the lake and sought out a quiet space. At the most pivotal point of his ministry, Jesus sought out the solitude and quiet of Gethsemane. Jesus again and again retreated to be present with the Father and be renewed in relationship with him and kind of get his marching orders again so that he could then be with people in healthy ways and continue on his mission. And sometimes I think if we spend time in solitude or silence apart from people, we're stepping away from our mission. We're disengaging from the mission of God to make disciples. But to spend time in solitude and silence away from people is actually a central aspect of our mission of making disciples. Because we won't make the right kind of disciples, Jesus' disciples, if we're not nurturing practices of solitude. silence if we're not getting away and getting with God and if Jesus modeled that again and again that that need to connect with the father who are we to think we can live healthily or live life on mission without that kind of time it's like thinking I can have a healthy marriage without any time away with Beth just the two of us and it's hard to come by with two young kids and all the activities we have But when we do draw away, we're nurtured by that. And so our time away with God, our time alone, so to speak, and our time with people are are both are actually intimately connected and necessary. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was one of the best at describing this in his small book, Life Together. It's just a, a wonderful book about community and connection. But in one part of the book, he talks about the, the, the idea of the day alone, and then in the next chapter, he talks about the day apart. And in a subsection called Solitude and Silence, he says, for those who can't be alone, they should beware of community. And for those who are not in community, they should beware of being alone. Now, wait a second. How can that be true of both? what Bonhoeffer is saying is for those of us like myself I'm probably like a, a 17-3 extrovert on the Myers-Briggs scale I mean I love being with people I'm fueled by people but if I was afraid of being alone I wouldn't be able to be present with people in, in healthy ways okay I'd be worried about those connections and how we communicated and and, and wouldn't truly be present with people but when I'm alone and when I step back from community, I'm better able to connect the community. There are others who are afraid of, you know, of community and they just want to be alone. I was in a conversation in the courtyard between services and uh, there was a couple of family that was back for the first time since COVID. And, and, and they basically said like, I love COVID. Like I had all this time to myself and it was awesome as an introvert. And I'm like, I was dying on the vine during COVID. I mean, I needed to connect with people and people weren't around as much and it was really hard. And, and we tend to be one way or another, right? As people and the way we're wired. But if we're people that would tend to stay away from community, we need to be aware of that sense of just wanting to be alone all the time. And that, that solitude that could be intentional could become loneliness and could become unhealthy where we become disconnected. And and for those of us who are afraid of silence and always wanted to be with people and solitude always wanted people, we need we need to step back and learn how to just be present with the living Lord. For Elijah, it became a forced time of solitude and silence that he was led into. He was afraid and he ran for his life. And we're told that when he went, he himself went into the desert on a day's journey and there he left his servant and he went another day there. And we find Elijah underneath a broom tree, sitting under it and praying that he might die. He says to the Lord, I have had enough. And I don't know about you, if you've ever had that kind of time, But I could say there were points during COVID and trying to minister and the complexities of the last year and a half where I just told the Lord, like, I'm done. I've had enough. I don't want to figure out one more time how we're going to gather for worship. I don't want to have another discussion about mass or no mass. I don't want to have another discussion about how things have impacted this way or that. There became a type of decision fatigue during COVID that was exhausting. And pastors in the community were call, we were calling each other that much more often, like, "What are you experiencing?" and how are you dealing with this?" And more than one pastor over the last 16 months said, "Mike, I'm done. I'm done. I'm starting to think about another career. I'm starting to think about what else I can do anything else but be a pastor. And for you, whether it's a career, a marriage, or whatever it might be, there may have been points where you just said, I'm done to the Lord. And there were maybe some endings in that way. A job that wasn't the right fit for you. A marriage that was maybe abusive or something like that. But there are other times when we come to that point where we are at the end of ourselves, at the end of our rope, so to speak, where we're right where God wants us to be. Because it's in those times that we give up our tendencies to self-justification and fill the void with words and and the solitude with activity, and we come to a place where when we're at the end of our rope, we finally have empty hands and can we receive what God has to give. And Elijah's not alone in this. One of my favorite other uh, prophets uh, in the Old Testament is Jonah, and you might recall Jonah's journey of being called to go and preach to Nineveh. And instead of going to Nineveh, he headed the the opposite direction to Joppa. Uh, We're told he's swallowed by a big fish, spit up on the on the um, the beach, given a second chance to go and preach to Nineveh. He does, and he's successful, quote unquote. But in Jonah four, we find him outside of Nineveh. And basically saying, I'm ready to die. I'm just done. There he encounters an unpredictable plant that grows up over him and provides him some shade, much like uh, Elijah does here with the broom tree. But even there, Jonah doesn't seem satisfied. And in Jonah 4, we actually don't end up with any resolution. We have the sense that he's still out there. Now the vine that had grown up over him has withered, and he's basically in the scorching heat, and we don't know exactly Where Jonah goes from there. In Elijah's experience, we get a sense of some resolution, some recall. But in order to experience that in a healthy way, Elijah first had to experience what St. John of the Cross called the dark night of the soul. A point at which he just felt like he was done. And he didn't know what God was up to and where he was at in Elijah's experience. And I want to pause and note that this experience for Elijah, as it did for Jonah, came after an experience of success. And I think this can be one of the most blinding parts of an experience of the dark night of the soul or where solitude or silence is where we don't seem to experience God's presence. I mean, when things go really well, we think, man, this is great. All things are good. And sometimes it's then that we kind of hit rock bottom. Other times we go through a struggle experience in life. I mean, for me, my dark night of the soul did come in the midst of an experience of grief after my daughter passed away. And it was there that I just wrestled with where God was at and whether he was present and experienced dark nights of the soul. But for some of you, it may actually come at that time where you've completed a project you've been working on forever. And then there's sort of this like, what am I gonna do now? Or maybe you get that promotion that you've longed for forever and then all of a sudden you realize that job wasn't exactly what it turned out to be. Or you come into a bunch of money and you don't know what to do with it. And having more resources doesn't meet that void, fill that space and place of emptiness. Dark nights of the soul are difficult experiences because it can be a place of dryness, aloneness, even lostness. But like Elijah, they can be the very place God wants you to be. Because it's in that time that you're actually open. You're thirsting. You're craving to experience the word of God that can breathe life into what otherwise feels like death. Death. When God lovingly draws us into the dark night of the soul, I want to encourage you to avoid the temptation from just fleeing from it, trying to, you know, connect with people right away or just turning on the video games or the internet or, you know, whatever it might be to fill that space and allow God to address you in that void. There may be things that God confronts you with about yourself that you're uncomfortable with, but it's God's intentional space and place to to move you forward. I do wanna speak to the reality, though, that like Elijah, some of us can come to that point where we feel done, and we as a community know the pain and sorrow of suicide, and we know by experience that's never the right answer. And so if you're in that dark night of the soul and and you need help emotionally, you know, spiritually in that way, seek that out. Seek out that support and connection and care that you need. But don't allow that experience of of darkness to, to be one that you run from. Someone actually said the quickest way to the light, you know, when the darkness is coming is to not run away from it, but head into it. Because when you do, the, the sun's gonna come up that sooner that way, in a, in a sense. Instead of avoiding the darkness, we can find God's presence in the midst of it. And I love the way God ministers to Elijah in the solitude and the silence. We're told that an angel of the Lord touched him twice. And there was this, this reaching out through, through this angelic messenger that, that sort of woke Elijah up. And he said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. And I love God's honesty here. <laughs> he says to Elijah, it is too much for you. You are right. And for those of you who have avoided that feeling like it's too much, or I'm kind of at the end of the rope, God's up there saying, you're right, it is too much. You have taken on too much or it is too much for you to deal with in your humanness. Stop trying to just deal this in your own physical or or your own resources and allow me to feed you. And if we look at the witness of Scripture, we find that God consistently does. There's a 40-day journey here. Echoing the 40 years in the desert of the Israelites where God sent the manna in the desert to feed his people. And here he feeds his prophet. And we're told, strengthened by the food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights. He was able to continue on in his journey sustained by God's feeding and sustaining, not his own resources. And I love the way, the fact that God draws Elijah, we're told, uh, to, to Mount Horeb. And this is another name for Mount Sinai. And there, Elijah locates a cave, and he falls fast asleep. And he may have actually been in a spot that was more sacred than he realized. The Hebrew text says he came there to the cave. Possibly the same very cleft of the rock where God had placed Moses, when his glory had passed by Moses. And in a similar way, God tells Elijah, my, my presence is about to pass by, my glory is about to pass by. And it's like, as he spoke to Moses, like, you can't see my face, it would be too much for you. But, but I'll show you my back on my, way, on my way past. And sometimes, friends, it's in solitude and silence that we realize how present and powerfully God has been at work in previous experiences. Sometimes, you know, recently even in the solitude and the silence of my my yard and I've got a, a little circular spot there that I often have my quiet times outside. And I've realized how awesome this last month has been. I mean, I had a kid graduate from eighth grade. I had a kid that, you know, experienced some citizenship awards and things like that. My kids were able to be in school. We were able to, you know, get away for camp, and I got to be a part of my younger kids' first camp experience. I mean, it smelled bad in our cabin, and it was really loud for a week of elementary-age kids, but it was awesome. And I might not capture that and get my mind around that. I mean, I saw kids wake up to the presence of God Accept Christ into their heart and their life for the first time. I saw kids trust that they could survive a zipline experience where everything in them was speaking of fear and terror. And one actually said, I, I'm going to die. I know I'm going to die. I said, Man, I, I, I tell you, you're not going to die. I know it feels like you might die, but I really think it's going to hold and I think you're gonna, I believe you're going to survive. Like, trust me on this one. And I mean, literally up to the moment when he actually started zipping on the zip line, he was saying, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die. And then all of a sudden, I heard this, woo! And I walked down and he said, that was the best thing ever. But it takes conquering those fears and allowing God to meet us at those times where we're at the end of our rope. And we don't know how we're going to be able to continue on in the journey. And it's okay to say, I've done. It's okay to say, I-, I don't know how to continue. And it's okay to hear God say, yeah, the journey's too much for you. You can't do it on your own. But allow me to do it in you and through you. Allow me to provide for you. And guess what? It's not always going to be in the fireworks. God didn't speak in the, the, the wind or the earthquake or the fire. Those were all precursors to his presence and his voice and his speaking in the still small voice, but they weren't the thing. They were the thing before the thing. And too often we're caught up in the wind or the earthquake. I mean, I cry out to God when I've been in earthquakes. You better believe it. And, God, and Elijah just experienced God's presence in the fire extinguishing his sacrifice. So he knew about God showing up in the fire, but it wasn't in those things. Friends, we're not always at camp. We're not always on the, the high mountain and the places where we believe God's going to reveal himself and we experience his revelation that way often. No, no. Often we're going through the difficult parts of the journey, and yet we need to know God is there all the same. One of the reasons that I loved running cross-country through college and imparted that love to my younger son, or my older son and younger, is that the only way you're going to win or do well is depending on who you are when nobody's looking. It's when you're out there on your own and you're all alone and nobody is cheering for you. I mean, cross-country is the worst spectator sport ever created. You see him start, you see him end. At one point, I walked up to my dad, and I just said, thank you. He said, why? It's because you showed up to cross-country sport, uh, you know, races again and again, and you saw me for like a minute of like 30 minutes, and that was it. But in the midst of the trails and in those times alone, that's what makes you. And for us spiritually on our journey with Jesus, it's in those times of solitude and the decisions we make when we're there. It's in those times of silence when we choose to not fill it with words, but we allow God's word to confront us. And when Elijah got in that space and place, he heard the still small voice of God saying, go back the way you came. In other words, get back in the game. I picture God with Elijah being like the pitching coach who goes out to the pitcher who's really struggling and says, okay, you know, it's not working very well. Try this or whatever. But the big thing is he goes back and he gives him that pat in the butt and then he walks back to the dugout. This was God's big pat in the butt for Elijah and he needed it in order to get back in the game. And for some of us today, In in the solitude here or silence, we need to kind of experience God's pat in the butt, so to speak, where it's get back in the game. And I truly believe that when God said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He was not talking about physically where he was. It was all about his spiritual location at the time. What are you doing here at this stage in your spiritual journey what, what are you doing? Why, why are you kind of licking your wounds or off on your own? I've got more work for you to do. And he sends him back to anoint kings and anoint his successor, a prophet. Elijah, you may have felt alone, but guess what? There were more than 7,000 people that never bowed the knee to Baal. And guess what? I'm going to give you a successor, Elijah, somebody to do life with. And in the solitude and the silence of that space and place in that cave where God had met Moses and now God meets Elijah, God is saying, you are not alone and I will never leave you alone because I'm with you. And I'm going to send you partnership and community. But the only reason Elijah was really able to receive that was he had gotten alone and had come to the end of himself. And then he realized his need for a community once again. Instead of running from it, he went back and received it. I want to give you a few steps into solitude here that can help you, I believe, practically put this message, you know, into to use and practice in your life. The first thing I want to say, first step into solitude is take advantage of the little solitudes that fill your day. In other words, start the day in solitude and silence with God. You're not ready to connect with other people. For me, I'm not really ready to connect with people until I've had my cup of coffee (laughs) and my 15, 20 minutes of solitude. I am no good for anybody, especially my family, until I've had that kind of time. And end the day that way. End the day with silence. and Turn off the TV, turn off your computer and, and, and allow God to speak to you in the silence before you go to bed. For me, that's a time of thanksgiving and review of the day. And... Practice solitude and silence in the midst of your day. For me, I stopped doing back-to-back appointments in the office, and I started taking a five-minute walk through our parking lot uh, between appointments. And so instead of going 60 minutes to another 60 minutes, 55 minutes, and just going for a five-minute walk. And guess what? The next person I was counseling, I was much better. I was much more present with them and i didn't carry the previous counseling appointment into the next counseling appointment or my own baggage from one thing into another i was able to let that go and then be present with the next person i got to connect with practice solitude in the middle of your day when you're at the supermarket and you got to wait in line and you're frustrated instead take a deep breath and quiet your eyes and just be still one of my friends who's here uh, has a business where he's got customers that come in different parts of the day, and, but there's also prolonged periods of, of silence and quiet. And you can use that to just allow God to be present to you and to speak to you and to not turn on the TV or whatever else it might be to occupy yourself, but allow God to be present. Beyond that, each day, on a quarterly basis, take three to four hours, take a half day in prayer and use that time to kind of do a reset in terms of your life goals and direction. God reset Elijah through this time away and gave him a renewed sense of vision and direction for how to live his life. And we all need that. And on a yearly basis, just get away. I was talking to Beth about how I need that eight day because it, it takes me a couple days to unwind. It'll be th- I'd have three or four days where I'm actually present to being away before I'm thinking about re-entry the last two days. One of my closest pastoral friends from seminary, we talked for about an hour yesterday. And he said, yeah, I started to think about vacations as a pastor being like NASA in a space shuttle. And hey, there's a great takeoff and you're out there on adventures, but pretty soon you start thinking about re And how re-entry is difficult. And that can be true for any one of us in a job or relationship or situation that's difficult and we're re-entering. We need time away. The great mantra or way of describing it from Richard Foster is come apart or you will come apart. And I don't want to come apart. I don't think you do either. So if we can come apart from people so that we don't Come apart, and we're actually able to be present and participate in what God is doing in our own lives and in the lives of others. I don't know about you, but that's where I want to be. And too often I'm like Elijah at the end, wondering where God's going to show up, but then just continuing in frenzied activity instead to avoid the silence and the solitude. And the next time we run into that temptation, My invitation or encouragement to you is don't go there, but stay in that space and place and allow God to minister to you.
1: Let's stand as we go out with the closing worship song.